Welcome to Category 5 Technology TV, episode number 393 for Tuesday, the 31st of March, 2015. So good to have you here. It is World Backup Day, and tonight we're going to be talking about what it is to have a a backup. Mm -hmm. It sounds like such a simple thing, but it's not... Because if it was, why... Would you need a full day for it? And why do 30% of people not do it? So we're going to find out what we can do. We're also going to be looking at what I think might be the ultimate backup software for Linux, Mac, and Windows. And it's available absolutely free. So you want to stick around and learn all about that. Wow. Yeah. Big news coming up. And speaking of news, (laughs) Sasha Dermatis. Hey. Hello. Here's what's coming up in the Category 5.TV newsroom. The passport numbers and visa details of 31 world leaders were accidentally emailed to the organizers of the Asian Cup in Australia. AT&T maintains affordable pricing for gigabit internet service by monitoring everything you do online to sell information to the advertisers. Best Buy has announced that it is closing its Canadian subsidiary Future Shop and converting 65 of its 131 stores into Best Buy outlets. A new style of gaming mouse is about to take the world by storm. It uses magnetic parts that snap on and off so that you can customize your mouse to suit the way you play. Roku is cutting off support for their older devices. Stick around. The full details are coming up later in the show. This is Category 5 Technology TV. Starring Sasha Dermatis. Hillary Rumble. Krista Wells. Eric Kidd. And your host, Robbie Ferguson. This is Category 5 Technology TV. Welcome to the show. My name's Robbie Ferguson. I'm Krista Wells. How you been? Um, good. Yeah? I'll say good. Busy? <laughs> yeah, really busy. It's yeah. been a little bit crazy, a little bit hectic. Um, could have worse problems, so I won't complain. Yeah, yeah yourself? Good. Yeah, good. It's nice to see spring is finally kind of here. Yeah, you it's- can see all that nice brown grass. It's still bright out. It's <laughs> 7 o'clock our time, but a little after 7, and we're still looking at sunny skies out there. So I'm kind of liking that, kind of digging that here in Barrie, Ontario. So, yeah, we've got a, a fun show tonight. Uh, we're going to be learning all about backups, being that it is World Backup Day. We're going to pick on uh, Krista if uh, if she hasn't been doing uh, backups as of late. So I have done. Have you? I'm really good at it. Yeah, we'll talk about that. I'm pro star. Yeah. I don't need a day. <laughs> Every day is backup day for Krista. <laughs> good job. Good job. Well, and I will have you know that Category 5 TV <laughs> is a member of the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here. That's cat5.tv slash TPN and the International Association of Internet Broadcasters, cat5.tv slash IAIV. Well, what's new with you? I want to say hey to uh, everyone who's uh, kind of working their way into the chat room. I do see people from all over the world. DJ Quad, Dennis mm-hmm. Kelly, Dreamer. If you haven't, uh, I did all the Ds. Oh, so I now just realized. Oh, yeah, I just <laughs> literally just, uh, I need to jump down to Quirtinonymous, Quirtinemus, and Rev D. Jank. Hey, yeah. And Smokey Joe. I uh, hope that you've been having a great week. Uh, it's been uh, pretty pretty busy around here, and uh, and we're getting ready for some exciting things on Category 5. Uh, Sasha was mentioning that there are some changes coming to Roku, especially if you use a, a legacy Roku device. You want to stick around and find out what that means to you. Uh, for us developers, it means uh, some changes uh, as far as our distribution of the show for, uh, for legacy users. So, uh, so you definitely want to stick around and learn all about that. 
In the meantime, it is World Backup Day. We're going to take a real quick moment to hear from everyone at worldbackupday.com. And then we are going to take a look at what it means to create a backup and how we can do it on Linux, Windows, or Mac using what I think is probably one of the best free tools uh, available. So stick around. What would you do if you lost everything? On August 3rd, 2012, Wired journalist Matt Holman's entire digital life was destroyed. Hackers broke into his iCloud account and remotely wiped his computer, phone, and tablet obliterating all his data. Think you're safe? Think again. 83% of us own a computer. 89% own a mobile phone. Yet only one in four people make regular backups of their data. But what is a backup? It's a separate copy of your important photos and documents. So if something happens to your computer or phone, your information is completely safe. Losing your data is more common than you think. More than 60 million computers will fail worldwide this year. And that's not all. More than 200,000 smartphones are lost or stolen every year. That's countless irreplaceable documents and treasured memories destroyed. If something went wrong today... What would you lose forever? Visit worldbackupday.com to learn how to back up and save yourself tomorrow. It's World Backup Day, and what that means is it is a chance for you to really consider what uh, what you're doing as far as your backups. Speaking of backups, we were mentioning at the top of the show that uh, that you're doing well with your backups. How are you doing it? What are you doing? I do well with my backups. At least I think I do. Okay. Um, Graphic designer here, so uh, she's. It's key that she does good backups. I have just putting that out there. Two external hard drives. Okay. One I keep in house. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I save everything to that. The other I keep out of house and I access via, via like you put it in the shed. Like it's it's in someone else's office. It's off oh, okay. off my property, off, yeah. away from like fire hazards, yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and then I access that and update that via Pogo Plug. Oh, so you have a Pogo Plug, yes. internet connected that you can save yes. all your nice. Okay. So I have double. I have in house in case something happens to that one. The other one's my backup in case something happens to that one out of house. The one and are they syncing? I know Pogo Plug has the ability to sync folders. They, I actually don't. I do that manually. I'm so sure it would make it a lot easier, but yeah, yeah. yeah I, I have guess. been doing it manually. <laughs> All right. I use rsync for my backups, and, and I've written a script in Bash that uh, goes out to my server in-house mm-hmm. and collects with our, our diff, actually, and, and figures out what has changed since the last backup and sends the files to a, a Pogo Plug, okay. which I've got mounted using uh, Pogo Plug FS so that it shows up as a drive on my Linux okay. machine. So then it just treats it like any other hard drive, and it's copying it like it's a local copy, but it's actually off-site, so it's well away. Okay. But in-house, I've got my server, which has seven hard drives, all running in an unraid environment, so there's um, redundancy there. Mm-hmm. In addition to the backup, I've got that redundancy that if a drive fails, and it's happened before, if a drive fails, I can pull that drive, replace it, and Parity rebuilds right. the drive, and I don't end up losing anything to even have to go to the backup. Right. But when do you really need a backup? It's when the data is lost mm-hmm. and you don't have your original copy. So the question is, okay, well, what makes a backup a backup? I kind of gave you a hint <laughs> there. And, and I would encourage, as we're talking, uh, it's really going to be about backups tonight, folks. We're going to uh, really get to the bottom of uh, what we need to do to keep your files safe. It's very important these days. Sasha's shaking her head saying, <laughs> I don't know what a backup is. I've never done it. I, I don't back anything up except trucks. Except for my car. Yeah. My backup camera's even broken. I can barely back up my car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just dirty. So that's a problem. We're going to help Sasha tonight. And by proxy, we're going to be helping you to understand what we need to do. You know what a backup is. <laughs> what, what's a backup, Krista? Backup is essentially a redundancy of all your files for 
in, a, in case something happens to your original files. So I have customers who have come in and they have an external hard drive that they've bought. Yes. And they said, okay, well, my laptop was low on space and I've got all these home movies. And so I'm, I moved them onto this external backup mm-hmm. so that now I've got my backup and I've got my files uh, or I've got my computer is freed up that space. Okay. Is that a backup? No. That's just additional space additional space. You're actually probably increasing your chance of losing those files during the trans transition. Corruption possibilities. I have had it happen where I've uh, and my scenario was unfortunate. Uh, my backup itself is what I was falling back on as I was wiping out a computer mm-hmm. and rebuilding the computer and then I went to restore from the backup and realized oh, my backup, <laughs> my backup drive actually crashed. So then you realize that, okay, a redundant copy, as Krista says, so to put that into really simple terms, a copy of your copy. So there are now two copies of everything that really matters to you. Family photos, mm-hmm. family videos that are digital these days mm-hmm. that you've taken with your, your uh, digital video camera, your digital camera, or perhaps your cell phone. Those things, you know, do you have two copies? Just let you chew on that for a second. Do you have two copies? Do you have three copies? I prefer a backup solution where I've got three copies at any, any given time. Krista, you've got two external two. hard drives yes. and your computer. Yes. So when you create a file, you've got it on your computer. Mm-hmm. You back it up to one of your external hard drives locally mm-hmm. and then back, back it up, up to, to your yeah. external hard drive on a Pogo yeah. plug across town. Yeah. For those of you who aren't familiar with Pogo plug, and we're not saying Pogo plug is the way, uh, it's basically cloud storage, um, but it's a device that allows you to use your own physical hard drive as a cloud storage medium. But when we say Pogo plug, that would be, um, let's say, for example, uh, it could be any of the cloud services, Amazon S3 or Google Drive mm-hmm. or whatever it may be that you're using to store in the cloud or in right off-site through the internet because these days you don't necessarily have to run a backup locally and then take it physically away that's kind of the old way of doing it but uh, these days because of high-speed internet when i can upload at such speeds and backups are so intelligent to recognize oh okay well you've only actually changed 10 megabytes of files Mm -hmm. so even though your backup is 10 gigs it's only going to send 10 megs so it's not a very big upload at all in those cases I work with video, so it's, it can be pretty, pretty bad sometimes. My uploads are bigger than yours. <laughs> no need to break. Whoa. I know. Whoa. I know, right? I pay for bandwidth. It's brutal. <laughs> believe me. But redundancy really means having a copy of your copy so that if one of those copies ever got lost, stolen, broken, yes. crashed, you've got something to fall back on and recover from. But then... What happens if that crashes during that transit? That's why I like to have a third copy as well. You just have copies all over town, don't you? All over He's the got place. got like 50. I'll bet you I have copies of my show on your computer. So I just, I'll call Jot. Creepy? It's a little creepy. No. It's a TV show. We let them download it for free. It's legal. Okay. In all countries. Okay. Even in China. I'm just saying how you said it. It was a little creepy. Oh, all right. You are my backup. No, that's, better. that's nice. Okay. That's nice. Thanks for being my backup, folks. <laughs> so, all right. So that is a backup. So the guy who has moved files off of his computer into another storage medium is not a backup. Mm-hmm. True. What do you do for your phone? You use your phone for pictures? Um, yes, but they actually cloud backup to my other devices, in which case oh, it just backs like, up. Oh, just like all the celebrity photos. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't oh, have he to went worry. There. Unless oh, he people went there. want to hack and get puppy pictures and logo <laughs> pictures. <laughs> true enough, true enough. Okay, but um, how do you know that that backup is good? You're trusting what came with the phone and that mm-hmm. the service that's being provided is backing up effectively. How do you know that your files are actually in two places at once at all times? I just don't, Robbie. I like to have that assurance that I can actually see my data. I can revert back to certain versions of my data if I want to. So what are you doing with your phone? Um, According to worldbackupday.com, let's look at uh, some statistics here. Um, Here we go. I mentioned 30% of people have never backed up. 
30% have never backed up. Sasha is smiling at us. Not to point any fingers. Not to point any fingers, but she never backed up. <laughs> I hope that you, she's on her phone in the chat room. I am hoping that she's actually searching Google Play Store for a backup utility. <laughs> uh, 100 and th- you ready for this, Sasha, as you're standing there on your phone? 113 phones are lost or stolen every single minute. So these days, uh, I'm astounded by the quality, the picture quality, the video quality of phones these days. Mm-hmm. Kelsey's got this crazy cell phone that is such good photo quality. It's, it's unreal. I can't believe it comes from such a small sensor. That's how things are getting. And even my wife, Becca, with her uh, Samsung Galaxy LTE, it takes pretty good photos in good light. So good enough that we tend to fall back on that when... The camera right. battery dies or we're just doing a family do. You don't want to bring the camera. You've already got your phone. So a lot of pictures of the kids and stuff end up on there. But then what, how, what happens if someone steals it or it gets dropped, right? 113 phones are lost or stolen every single minute. That's got to make you think. So tonight we are going to look at a solution that may be able to help you uh, keep your backups up to date. I think it's probably one of the, uh, the best tools for Linux, Mac, and Windows. Um, it's not going to help you with your cell phone directly. I'll just tell you right now because Sasha's like, I want it. I want it. Oh, it doesn't work on Android or iOS. However, you probably know when you connect your phone to your computer, it, if configured to do so, mm-hmm. can come up as a, basically an external hard drive, and you can copy your DCIM folder and get those pictures onto your computer. So you can manually be copying photos off of your phone, which you should be doing anyways, because what happens if it gets stolen? Um, Dropped in the toilet. Surprisingly high number of people do that. So I'm told. Never happened to me. So you can copy files off of your phone. Uh, I would suggest that you do that. And then you can use backup software for your computer platform in order to back up those photos from there so that you've got a copy on your phone, your computer, and your backup. How perfect is that? Pretty perfect. All right. So the, the software that I promised to show you is called Duplicati, and it is absolutely free of charge. They're supported cool. by donations, contributions. Mm-hmm. You can send them Bitcoin or whatever you want to do to support them. And I would suggest, you know, when you're working with companies, uh, people like this, that if, uh, hey, if they save your butt... Throw a couple coin their way. That's a good thing to do. Um, but what really stands out to me about Duplicati and why we're looking at this software tonight is that it uh, it's cross-platform compatible. It is a uh, it, we're we're going to show you how it works on Linux. We're going to require mono, and those of you who know what that means um, may go. Hmm, it's really a Windows application, but it will run on Linux absolutely perfectly. Um, so you you definitely want to check this out. But not only is it cross-platform compatible, but it works a lot similar to, I'll say, uh, Time Machine in the way that you can go back to certain dates. So there are certain scenarios, and please share your scenarios, disaster stories uh, with us in the chat room. Maybe we can come up with a couple of um, examples of, you know, what is good practice, what is bad practice. I think about, uh, so that I gave you that hard drive example where I was copying files back from a hard drive to a newly wiped system and it crashed. Um, There are other scenarios, you know, when I think about having multiple copies, well, what happens in a backup set when a backup actually overwrites your backup? This is another scenario that we have to think about, right? It's World Backup Day, folks. We got to think of these (laughs) things. And you never want to think about it too late. But what happens if a file on my computer or device gets corrupted, Mm -hmm. and then gets backed up in such a way that it is overwriting my backup. You never want to. Then you're in trouble. Yeah. This happens with viruses Mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, CryptoLocker, that destroy uh, a network drive because they go out over the network and they destroy the file-shared storage uh, of a, a, a business. And then their nightly backup is set to automatically backup everything overwriting the old backup. And if they're not keeping a good backup set that has the ability to go back in time, they're not going to have any good copy of their files. They're going to have overwritten not only their master files, but their backup itself. 
So one of the things about Duplicati that that is is good and that I want to encourage today is that it allows you to go back to previous dates in such a way that um, if I corrupt a file today, if my kids open a document and highlight all mm-hmm. and then type a bunch of gibberish and then close it and say save. yes to the do you want to <laughs> save question and it overwrites and then it backs up, I want to know that I can go few. I can go back to yesterday's backup. Mm-hmm. I can go back to last week's backup or three weeks ago's backup and I can, I can remedy that situation. So we're going to be able to do that here. What are you using on your Mac for for backups? Are you using Time Machine or some other software? I don't use Time You just drag and drop. Um, I actually don't like it. Uh, I do just drag and drop. You can understand the concept behind what I like about it. Yes. um, I don't have those issues at the moment anyways, just because I I also do manually backup from one to the other. Um, And in that instance, one external can't overwrite another unless I manually do it. That's a lot of work. It's not a that lot bad. of work. It could be, though. I mean, if you... And what if you missed something? I would just curl up in a little ball and cry. True. But to automate that process, I, I would think... Would be, be a lot easier. It would be easier. But I think about the potential, like... We went... Uh, my wife and I went... Uh, we took the kids to the Y Marsh on the weekend, which is about... 50 minutes from here we drove there we did the the maple syrup tour and everything and we i was camera happy and i took so many pictures and i love that i did because we've got this photo record of a wonderful day and if i ever lost those photos these are memories i mean the kids each of my three kids put out their hand and a chickadee came and landed Mm -hmm. on their hand and ate seeds from their hand and i have a picture of each one of those and it's just those priceless memories that they will carry with them forever. And if I ever lost those, it would be kind of heartbreaking. You could use Photoshop and replicate it. <laughs> okay, kids, stand in front of the green screen and put your hand out. And like, this isn't the real thing, Dad. They'll never know. In 20 years, they'll never know. <laughs> you are terrible. <laughs> terrible. Let's just preempt the whole situation of childhood heartbreak and instead... Um, back these things up in such a way that no matter what happens, I've got access to the files, right? Mm-hmm. So Duplicati, uh, we're going to bring up the website and uh, let's see. It is, it's spelled a little different. So let's bring up my computer here so that you can get it. So in your browser, just go to duplicati.com, just like that. And there you have it. Now, a couple of things that I wanted to point out about Duplicati. You'll notice that the version is 1.34, and that was released in 2013. So immediately our thought is, okay, well, is, is that old software? Mm-hmm. Is it obsolete? Is it a dead program that you know, nobody is maintaining right. anymore? And then you say, okay, well, there's actually, oh, hold on, there's a version 2.0 preview available. So that's, you know, that's what I might click on. And when I click on that, <clears throat> I noticed that it has a date that says as of July 2014, Duplicati 2.0 preview is now available. So again, it leaves me with this taste in my mouth thinking, oh, is it a dead project? Mm-hmm. So I emailed them. I said, no, 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 no. That's just the date that we started working on 2.0 and publicly in the public eye. But we okay. actually are releasing uh, almost daily builds. So I downloaded it and sure enough, it's you know a day old kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So... Another point about Duplicati that impresses me is that it is free software. Um, and I emailed two of the people that are part of the development team. Uh, and both Renee and Kenneth got back to me same day, which is pretty impressive. So obviously not a dead project and, and mm-hmm. certainly something that we want to look at. Um, and I want to point out, okay, Duplicati 1.3.4. I installed it. It's nice and easy because it's a dev package. So it goes into your computer, and it, it does work on Linux. It certainly works on Windows and, uh, and Mac. Uh, fonts are a little bit tiny for my taste, but it, is, it works, and it comes in from a dev package. But version 1.3.4 is an older version, and tonight we're going to look at version 2. So I'm going to show you how we can get that, how we can get it installed on our Linux machine, but the information I'm going to share with you is going to be the same for Linux, Windows, Mac, Great. doesn't matter what you're using. This is something you can install yourself. It's something I could do. Sasha's got a Linux computer. You can put it on your Linux computer and start backing up your phone to your Linux computer. And um, then 
you'd, you'd be good to go. Yeah, I need help with that. I tried plugging my phone into my computer and it didn't understand what didn't I was work. doing. Did everything blow up? I, and then I like I need to bring you my things and say help. <laughs> if only you knew someone who knew their way around Linux a little bit. I know. Yeah, I can I can help you there. Okay, well that's good because I mean I have like super I you know I speaking of your child your children and yes. the bird and the story. Yeah, that sad I, story that, that I gave. Sad it story. was a real story. Come on, there is a real story <laughs> involved, and I think this is why I'm so like ah eh, whatever backing up does nothing for me. Because I lost an entire box, like an actual real box of all of my pictures. Physical prints. All of my physical prints. Because oh. I was born before the age of computers and digital <laughs> pictures. Oh, my. I actually lost all of mine. So now I'm like, eh, I don't have any baby pictures. Who cares about everything else? And that's so, I mean, that is heartbreaking. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. When it really, and yeah. you have the memories, I'm sure, of, of some of those because you would have seen them as an older, yes. you know, like an adult. You'd see these pictures before they got lost. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons at home, uh, thinking along the lines of backups, is I do scan a lot of stuff. And it drives Becca nuts because we get an 8 by 10 printed and I put it in a stack of things to scan. And I, you know, I end up doing it once every few months or something, but it, it, you know, it takes time. That is so smart because sometime in your life during a move, somebody might accidentally mistake your total treasures, keepsakes as a box to go to the dump. Oh, oh (laughs) yeah. (laughs) On that note, that hurts so bad. That's terrible, Sasha. I'm sorry for your sake. No, that's okay. Scan everything and you back it up because your stuff is not yet lost. (laughs) There's still hope. There's still hope for you. You heard it from Sasha Dermatis, the woman who has never backed up. She is. She's learned the hard way, folks. Okay, Sasha, we're going to jump over to the newsroom and uh, take. uh, I'd love to hear about all these stories that you've got in the news tonight. All right. It's Tuesday, March 31st, 2015. And here are the stories we're covering this week. Confidential information about 31 of the world leaders were accidentally emailed to the Asian Cup organizers in Australia. AT&T, or the big brother of ISPs. Future Shop closed all its Canadian stores on Sunday to the surprise of even their staff. A brand new high-end modular gaming mouse is available for pre-order through crowdfunding, and its unique design will put it on any serious gamer's shopping list. And legacy Roku devices are about to be deprecated, and it may be time to upgrade. These stories are coming right up. Don't go anywhere. Thanks, Sasha. And uh, tonight we're talking a lot about backups. And uh, one of the things that DreamHost provides for you is a 50-gig backup storage space on their uh, servers for only $70 a year. You're going to get carbon-neutral LAMP hosting on Linux, of course. Uh, You're going to get a free domain name registration, unlimited storage space for your website, uh, as well as be able to host an unlimited number of, uh, of websites and email accounts. Plus, they throw in that 50 gigs of personal backup storage space. Go to cat5.tv slash dreamhost and use the coupon code cat5tv to sign up today. Back to the newsroom. Here's Sasha. I'm Sasha Dermatis, and here are the top stories from the Category5.tv newsroom. The passport numbers and visa details of 31 world leaders were accidentally emailed to the organizers of the Asian Cup in Australia before the G20 summit in Brisbane in November. Those affected included U.S. President Barack Obama and German Chancellor Angelina Merkel. Angela Merkel, sorry. A worker at the Australian Department of Immigration sent the list by mistake. The oh. mess <laughs> by mistake. The message included the 31 world leaders' dates of birth, but not the personal addresses and other contact details. Just visa and passport information. <laughs> the the breach was said to be the result of human error, with the sender forgetting to check the autofill functions in Microsoft Outlook's email service before hitting send. According to the officer, both the sender of the email and the recipient had deleted it within 10 minutes of it being sent. And the Asian Cup football tournament organizers said they did not believe the email was accessible or stored on their servers. Oh, my gosh. The department decided there was no need to alert the G20 attendees, clearly indicating that they don't understand how email works. Wow, Robbie. So will you explain how email works? Yeah, sure. (laughs) 
I'd be happy to. Okay, for all of you uh, who are dealing with government personal information, uh, secret. Here's my secret. My pen's died. Doesn't that be? There you go. So my secret. It says sec or secker. But sec, there you go. I can pass <laughs> this to you, impactful. right? There's an email. It's, it's perfectly visible mm-hmm. to anyone who is looking for that email as it goes through the servers. Mm-hmm. It gets to you and you might shred it or rip whatever. it up or burn yeah. it or whatever. But while it's in transit, it's, it's plain text. Do you know how the internet works? Like it, it's the World Wide Web. You've got a whole bunch of little nodes and they're all connected together. And when I send an email to you, Sasha, it doesn't Mm -hmm. go to you. It goes to my ISP, who might be looking. Well, first it goes through the hotel where I'm connected to the Wi-Fi. Then it goes to the ISP. Then it goes to every little computer along the way and through all these computers to get to the recipient. Mm -hmm. And who's to say one of those computers isn't infected infected with a botnet or uh, an email sniffer or maybe there is actually a malicious person on the other end watching email as it passes through and watching for confidential records. Right. Wasn't it you, Robbie, that said that sending an email is the same as sending a postcard? Was it? I feel like that's something you would say. It sounds so like a really great quote, so I will accept that <laughs> as think, my own. Yes, I think that's That's true. really, really true. I mean, that, that may have been somebody in the chat room. I don't know if I've ever spoken those words, but that's, that's a great example. Mm-hmm. A postcard. How how do you know that it got to my postal box without someone else reading it? I guarantee you, probably yeah. a lot of people read it if it looked interesting on the on the cover, right? Absolutely. That's email. Email is plain text, and I think and you can read about it in my blog, baldnerd.com. I actually posted a, a recent article about the fact that we get deceived thinking that email is secure because we've got secure authentication to connect to our server. Or because when we bring up Gmail, it's a secure website. And so we think, oh, this is secure. Oh, nice. Gmail is secure. Well, the instant I press send, it leaves Gmail, which is a secure connection. So my connection to Gmail is secure during that transaction. But as soon as I hit send, it goes out in plain text anywhere in the world. You don't know. Nobody knows. It just tunnels its way, finally finding itself at the recipient. And it is not a transaction where it absolutely guaranteedly gets deleted from every server it goes through. So what they're saying is because they didn't back it up, they just assume it's gone forever? Is that what (laughs) happened? They deleted it within 10 minutes, gone forever. It doesn't work that way, folks. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Wow. All right. If you have AT&T's gigabit internet service and wonder why it seems so affordable, here's the reason. AT&T is boosting profits by rerouting all your web browsing to an in-house traffic scanning platform, analyzing your internet habits, then using the results to deliver personalized ads to the websites you visit, email to your inbox, and junk mail to your front door. Wait, Sasha. Yes. Not to revert back to a previous story, but does that mean that they could also be watching email Uh, hypothetically? Exactly. If, let's say, the organizers of this uh, summit had um, logged on to AT&T and then sent the email, <laughs> right? Then they would have, then AT&T would have President Obama's password or passport, sorry, passport <laughs> number and, you know, visa. It's a frightening possibility. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy. All right. In a few select areas, including Austin, Texas and Kansas City, Missouri, places where AT&T competes against the $70 per month Google Fiber, Mabel offers its own $70 per month gigapower fiber to the home internet access. But signing up for the deal also opts customers into AT&T's internet preferences program, which gives the company permission to examine each customer's web traffic in exchange for a price that matches Google's. AT&T says internet preferences tracks the web pages you visit, the time you spend on each, the links or ads you see and follow, and the search terms you enter. This helps AT&T serve ads targeted to each user based on that person's interests. And advertisers are willing to pay more when they know their ads will be shown to the people most likely to be interested in their products. That scares me. Like, hmm. it, it's just like the time you spend on each web page. So they can tell if you you know, just accidentally click that page and then 
decided, oh, that's not where I wanted to be. Sure, yeah. Right? And, and we even use analytics data to know, okay, if you click onto our website, we know if you watched 15 minutes of the show versus 45 minutes of the show. And that makes us think, okay, well, then the first 15 minutes of the show is more valuable for advertisers, for example. And so, But we do it in a non-intrusive, non-identifiable way. Like It almost seems um, you're doing something... And not to point at AT&T specifically, but they're the ones in the news right now. But um, it's really coming down to, are you only using that data for advertising? And really, what does it come down to as far as the information that you're collecting? Right. It's just scary to think that somebody else is watching. Like everybody wants to maintain privacy. You're giving it up because if it seems too good to be true cost-wise, it likely is. And once again, it goes back to is your internet connection really your internet connection? Who is watching? Who's intercepting the data? Who's getting access to that? AT&T. They are. (laughs) Because AT&T can see almost everything you do online, no matter what websites you visit. The company may be an even better position to serve targeted ads than Facebook or Google. While Google apparently doesn't impose anything similar to internet preferences on its fiber internet, the company's cable service is delivering targeted TV ads based on its customers' viewing history. So Google uses it in some ways as well. Sure they do, yeah. But, wow. Oh, it just gives me the heebie-jeebies. I don't like it. <laughs> I, th- I think just because you bring up Google... Google's a search engine, so I'm going to their site and I'm using their service. And there's possibility that they're, you know, they're they're connected to other sites as well, of course. But um, when you're going through your internet service provider, they see everything, mm-hmm. not just what I search for or what website I'm on. They see everything. Right. Well, here's a thing. I mean, it just drives me bananas. I know everybody is watching. Not everybody, but I know that I'm everybody. Yeah. Everybody. My ego is huge. Everybody's <laughs> watching everything I do. But recently, I bought my sister a throw cushion, a throw pillow for her bridal shower. Okay. So I searched a whole bunch on Amazon, picked one. Yeah. I used the affiliate links thing well, on thanks, Category bud. 5. No yeah. problem. But then later on, I was google searching something and there was an ad with that cushion right on (laughs) but here's the thing i mean i know you're watching me but don't be so obvious about it it makes sense though from an advertising perspective because if i look at something it reminds me it's almost i it's almost become a handy thing to know that when i'm on any website amazon will show me the stuff that i want but I already and bought it. That's it. Why are you? Yeah, I know. Why are you showing at me least something make I already bought? Yeah, yeah. I already, per- already made the purchase. Quit yeah. hounding me. I don't want another pillow. <laughs> I do want another pillow. Actually, I only okay. had one. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> U.S. consumer electronics chain Best Buy has announced that it is closing its Canadian subsidiary Future Shop and converting 65 of its 131 stores into Best Buy outlets. As a result of the move, 500 full-time jobs and 1,000 part-time jobs will go, the retailer said. Future Shop, Canada's biggest electronics brand, has been owned by Best Buy since 2001. After the changeover is completed, Best Buy will have 192 Canadian stores. Analysts say the move will rationalize Best Buy's offer in Canada and get rid of duplication. Best Buy and Future Shop outlets are often found in close proximity, they say. I, oh, my, this is just heartbreaking for me because I have a future shop. I, I feel brand loyal to future shop, even though they're owned by Best Buy. I don't feel as sure, yeah. loyal to Best Buy. Future shop was first. And I remember growing up with it. And, and the, the news tells us that they announced that they're shutting down. They didn't really do it that way, did they? No. I mean, for me to show up at work and be told, sorry, no work today. We're closed. Is really how it went down. I certainly hope that all the Future Shop employees are offered positions in the new Best Buy stores, but not all of them will be converting over. I guess some will be completely closed. True enough. I mean, the doors are closed, and and really, there are a lot of Future Shops right next to Best Buys. Right. And I think that I thought about it at the time, and I thought, okay, at least unlike Target, these people are going to get a severance, I hope, because they're not milking out the time. Mm-hmm. You know, like it was, I showed up to work that day and I'm laid off. So I've got a little bit of money at least coming my way for the next few weeks. I hope that's how it went down. 
but you don't yeah. really know. You think, I mean, here, I don't know what it's like anywhere else, but here they have like one Tim Hortons across the street from another Tim Hortons yes. and they have Starbucks across the street from there. Like they have a, like tons of Which coffee is really shops. just a very expensive Tim Hortons. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> if you have a future shop and a Best Multiple. Buy yeah. in the same block and you, the parent company is Best Buy, they're still making the money off of both of those, even though people have the, the thought. <laughs> yeah. That's the society that yeah. we people, are in. I don't want to have to go across the street. But they're profiting off their own competition of themselves. Right. That's right. what See, they thought. See, that's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm thinking, like, if I don't want to shop at Best Buy, I'm going to go to Future Shop. Yeah, but really, that. like, Best yes. Buy for the win on that. Now yeah. it's just going to be Best Buy everywhere. I'm going to feel like I have no yeah. choice. And then I'll shop on Amazon. Yeah. Using our affiliate links. Exactly. Oh, I see where this is going. <laughs> I like it. This could be a very good thing. Wow. <laughs> a new style of high-end gaming mouse is about to take the world by storm. It's called the James Donkey 007 mouse, and it's made to be very customizable with magnetic parts that snap on and off so gamers can build an ergonomic mouse that suits the way they play. With an Avego a9800 chip, 8400 DPI sensor, and Omron switches tested to 20 million clicks. The 007 is in a league with the best gaming mice out there. With the new James Donkey 007, you can easily remove and replace magnetic components, such as what, Robbie? Oh, Put me on the spot. Yeah. Well, you think uh, this is a neat idea, eh? So, the, <laughs> you know, are the, you don't need a screwdriver to take the pieces off. You don't need to unclip things. It's just it's super-powered it's like magnets, right, own. that pull it in. So you think if you're playing a flight simulator or something, wouldn't it be cool to have, like, that hook feature on your, on your uh, pinky, right? So that as you are, you know, working it, if it has more of a flight simulator feel, or take that off and put on another component or actually adapt it to like how many variations can you make this mouse all the components come apart and you replace them with other pieces do you have to buy all these extra pieces do they come complete i i I don't know i would hope they would come with the most but i feel like they wouldn't i feel like sasha has more information for us (laughs) and possibly a website link (laughs) that maybe we can find out more information i want to know I will say I love the name. With the new James (laughs) Donkey, exactly. With the new James Donkey Double O Seven. Oh wait, I already said that. (laughs) Sorry. Um, Where was I? Oh, I'm all lost with the name. Goodness gracious! It changes the outward appearance of the mouse, but also the electronic functionality of the switch. This unique design makes up to 54 configurations possible. The 54, James, 54 wow. configurations. The James Donkey team are making the molds now and are well on their way to raising the funds for the first production run. For a limited time, you can order the 007 for just $41. And bulk wow. orders are also available. That's an incredible deal. So if you get all of the pieces for $41, wowzers. Visit our short link at cat5.tv slash 007 to support the campaign and get your hands on this innovative high-end gaming mouse. That's good. Now, I guess my only concern would be the high-powered magnets. They wouldn't disturb or... I feel like... Destroy mag- your dis- computer. <laughs> yeah. Like you don't want your high-powered magnets too close to your, your computer. tower. I wouldn't, right? I wouldn't set it on your hard drive. <laughs> but uh, it's... Yeah, I mean, these days, uh, things are... Not as magnetically sensitive as they used to be. Oh, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's crazy and awesome, and I want one. I like it. Yes. For some time now, older Roku streaming players, those made before May 2011, have not been able to benefit from the many improvements that have been made to the Roku OS. This means customers with legacy devices are not able to experience important new features that deliver the great streaming experience Roku wants for its customers. And soon, they will be cutting off development for those devices entirely. While consumers with legacy devices will continue to have access to channels that have already launched on those devices, going forward, Roku will no longer launch any new channels, update existing channels, issue firmware updates, or provide developer support for channels that run on these older devices. 
Since this is the case, legacy Roku devices will soon be crippled since channel developers and content providers will have no way to make updates to their channel software. That said, due to the nature of Roku's platform, new content from channels still operating on legacy hardware will continue to be updated, such as new episodes of Category 5 TV. However, as services evolve and grow, channels may break and no longer function. Current generation Roku players and Roku TV models are not affected. If you're using a Roku manufactured before May 2011, you can visit cat5.tv slash Roku to purchase a current generation system and continue to receive the best experience possible from your Roku device. The change will take effect on May 30th. Robbie, I just have to say that this upsets me. Why? It upsets me because I own a purse from 10 years ago. Like it's I don't a purse. Like, it's a I dumb purse. Right? Like so I don't want to buy I'm going to buy myself a Roku. I'm excited about it. It's my birthday next month. I'm buying myself a Roku. It's 2015. Will I have to buy myself a new one in 2018? Because I don't want that. I can't take you seriously. You just compared a Roku to a purse. But what I'm saying is that's me and my consumer <laughs> I habits. Know. I want things to, that I buy that I spend a lot of money on. To last me a long time. I know, right? Like, none of us here are Apple fan people, right? Hello. <laughs> oh, so you, like, you, you, you understand then. You, I love you, Apple. Ha- you bought your purse yesterday. I actually did buy a purse yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> How perfect is that? You think we planned that bit? No. Uh, okay. Well, fact is, I mean, technology changes a lot and fast, right? Uh, Roku is is uh, a, a leader as far as this kind of set-top box goes. I mean, they have really been pushing the envelope to create uh, uh, an interface and a usability experience, a user experience that is out of this world. It's the best box that you can get for your TV because it's just so it's so easy to use. It's so easy to add channels. My kids, I come home and they're like, Dad, we got a new game on the Roku. I was like, how did you even figure that out? That's how simple it is that my four-year-old and his seven-year-old brother are sitting there playing new things and watching new shows that they found. They found an Angry Birds TV channel, and they love it. <laughs> and that's, that's the experience. It's so great. And the uniformity of all channels but YouTube, are it's so across the board that it really makes it easy to, to navigate because everything just feels universal. Roku has built this platform. So that said, yeah, it sucks when things become obsolete. Four years for a device that gives you HD television through the internet connection and it only costs starting at 49 bucks. I think that's a fair deal, Sasha. Uh, I think that's a fair deal. I'm still going to buy a Roku. I am excited to try it. I want to watch my show. (laughs) (laughs) She's basically a narcissist with a beautiful purse that's 10 years old. (laughs) I spent good money on that. Actually, I didn't. It was 50% off on Boxing Day. Oh, my God. You got a deal. (laughs) Wow. So for all your tech news with a slight Linux bias, visit Category5.tv newsroom. The, the Category 5.tv newsroom at newsroom.category5.tv. For the Category 5.tv newsroom, I'm Sasha Dermatis. <laughs> Thank you, Sasha. This is Category 5 Technology TV. I'm your host, Robbie Ferguson. I'm Krista Wells. Good times, good times. <laughs> I'd love to know more about the purse, but weird, like, we're right out of time. I mean, that's how it goes. Uh, okay, we're looking at Duplicati. Uh, it is World Backup Day, uh, and uh, today, so we're looking at software and, and ways that we can back up our system more effectively. And I mentioned that Duplicati has version 2.0, so let's actually zip over there, see what this looks like, and see what it means to, to get this software onto our computer. So click on this Duplicati 2.0 preview on the left-hand side and scroll down. And as I was saying, it is actually uh, a, a currently evolving product so they're mm-hmm. constantly adding new features tweaking it making it better and better but we definitely want to go with the 2.0 as opposed to the old uh, 1.x oh, branch okay so i'm going to grab this latest.zip from the download link and hit okay and wow that was quick so that's it it's a zip file i'm on linux but you could be on mac or windows you're going to be able to open a zip file you're going to yeah. be able to run this program and the instructions are right here on how to do it how easy is that 
This is how you do it on Windows. This is how you do it on Mac and Linux. And this is how you run it as a server. Could it be any simpler? It's like one paragraph how to do it. There's no installation necessary. You don't have to go through the hoops of getting this thing set up on your computer. So let's instead just hit extract on my Linux machine. I'm going to create a folder on my desktop just to do it. Duplicati and uh, extract all files. It's done. That was it. I just had to extract it. So you'll notice, though, that it is window, they are Windows executable files. So there is a package that we need in order to run this. It is not Wine. You'll be surprised. What we actually need is a product called Mono. And again, this is absolutely free of charge. Uh, so bring up your favorite package manager. I'm using Synaptic Package Manager tonight. And what you want, the package that Kenneth recommends is Mono-Complete. And you'll see that's the first package that comes up when I do the search. I've already installed it just for the sake of time tonight. What that does is it installs all these other packages that you see that uh, are required. And that is Mono. That's the platform that allows us to run this particular application on our, on our Linux system. So that's only necessary for Linux. Mac will need some, some way to run it as well. And Windows, you can just run the executable. You don't have to do a thing. So now I'm going to go into my terminal here. Let's check out how this works. I'm going to go to my desktop and go to the Duplicati folder that I've created. And one of the things that I want to keep in mind now, if I run this as my user, Krista, you're on Mac, so you probably have a fairly good grasp of user-level access and how being the root user versus mm-hmm. being the regular user affects the usability of products. So Windows users, you, you probably don't necessarily get that because a lot of stuff is run just as the admin user anyways, and that's why viruses are so rampant, one of the reasons, uh, on Windows. But on Linux and Mac, you have to become the super user in order to do super user things such as uh, backing up other users data i think about a multi-user environment i'll probably want to run this as a super user because Mm -hmm. then i can access every user's files on my system and run backups and as well it gives me a little added security because the backups will be owned by root none of my users can access the backup files so that just gives me a little bit of extra security as well. So looking here, so the command that I want to do, you'll notice if I do an ls, it's, there's all the stuff. And because I've got mono installed, I can go sudo, sudo super, user, super user do. That's what that stands for. So I'm becoming super user on Linux. Uh, and then I type mono. And so those two commands can be left out on Windows, but they're required here on Linux and on Mac as well. And the application is called Duplicati dot, and notice the capital D, Linux and Mac are both case sensitive, unlike Windows, and then GUI dot tray icon dot exe. So if I run that, if all went well, now it's asking me for my password. And there we go. No error messages thus far. This is good. And I see an icon up at the top here. So let's click on that, see what happens. Oh, it's, it's actually coming up. Oh, look at that. Oh, it's loading. There we go. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. <laughs> All right, so Duplicati is already running. Um, I'm a little click happy. Yeah, I'm clicking, 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 and it just brings up a browser window. So one of the nice things about this, you can put it on any computer on your network and access it through your browser and access the backups and and manipulate them that way. So you want to block it behind a firewall and things like that. But once it's up and running, it's a nice interface, nice and easy. So let's do it. Let's start our backup set. I'm going to go into my documents folder, and you'll see I've got a file to delete and a file to modify, and those are just sitting there. They're just text files that I can open in Pluma or whatever text editor that you use, and they have content in them. So if I add a backup set, I'm going to call this one documents just for the sake of creating a backup. And let's back up to, and what do we want to back up to? Look at this. We've got access to FTP, file transfer protocol. It is not an encrypted uh, method of transferring data. However, the backup itself can be encrypted by Duplicati, so it can be used safely. SFTP uses SSH. This is the one that if you sign up for DreamHost, for example, you can save to their platform using either that or WebDAV. Uh, But SSH is is a great one. That's uh, giving you access to the file system. 
And uh, then you've got S3 compatible. So if you've got Amazon S3, you've got that. You've got Google Docs, even OneDrive. So all of this stuff is available to you. I'm just going to save to a local folder on my drive, which you normally would not do unless you, ha- if it's a mount point or something like that. But just for the sake of our demonstration, I'm going to use that to show you how this system works. So I'm going to save this to a path on my server. You'll notice on the left-hand side here, there are little arrows that you can pull out, and they uh, expand the tree. They should expand the tree. Yeah, there we go. So if I go slash home, slash Robbie, and then I'm going to go on my desktop, but first of all, I need to create... Let I'm only doing this for the sake of the demonstration. Don't save your backup to your desktop, okay? <laughs> Think in terms that, okay, Robbie's showing me how the software works. He's saving it to a folder on his desktop, but don't do that. Save it to uh, an FTP or SSH drive, something outside, a NAS device, network-attached storage, um, which can be a mounted drive on your computer, be it Windows you know, set up as a, a D drive or something, or it can be a mount point on Linux. It doesn't matter, but make sure it's a separate drive, okay? Um, so I'm going to call this my backup. And that might be a network share or something like that. So now that that's there, I'm going to browse to my desktop. Remember, we're just selecting the destination. And the software is really, really easy to use. Uh, okay, so I've got the My Backup folder, and I'm going to say OK. I can test the connection, make sure that it worked, and it's good to go. And there's no username or password required for this particular one. Your chosen target type may require that. So Create URI adds that to my backup too. Set up your encryption. AES-256 would probably be the best uh, to go with. It also offers uh, privacy guard and no encryption. Definitely, most likely wouldn't do no encryption. You can generate a passphrase automatically. Make sure you keep that safe. So put that somewhere, jot it down, uh, print it, put it in password box, something like that. Next, okay, enter a path to backup uh, as the source. So we're going to grab my documents. As we saw earlier, I'm going to go to slash home, slash Robbie, and then documents is around here somewhere. It is alphabetical, Robbie, so you can scroll down a bit. There we go. Okay, so now we've got that. You can also set up data filters. Uh, Click the link to find out more. I'm just going to back up everything that's in the folder. And I can continue to add more and more paths there if I like. Uh, But just for the sake of the demonstration, I'm just doing that. You want to run it regularly at what times? I'm just going to do the default every day at 6 o'clock p.m. Options, how big do you want your backup to be? What this means is that it's going to splice up your backup into individual files so that if you're backing up over FTP, for example, and you've got a slower connection, it's less likely to drop the connection based on the file size. If it's a 10-gig file, you might get halfway through the file and it might stop. Mm for some reason internet goes down or something so by making it smaller files for those kinds of connections it's more likely to be successful Uh, if you're saving on a local area network a NAS device you can make those files quite a bit larger I'm just going to leave it as defaults for now and then keep my backup for three months so it should be okay so it's starting it's verifying and it's good and it apparently has run a backup so if I look at that folder on my desktop it should have some stuff in it it's encrypted so I can't actually read it and you'll notice that it is also only accessible by root so now if I now go to my documents we're gonna ignore the fact that it uh, is now on my desktop because we're gonna pretend that that's anywhere here's a file to delete Okay, I'm going to delete that file. Here's a file to modify. It says I have not modified this file. Let's change it to I have modified the file. I have done it. Let's create a new file. There we go. File to create. We're going to say, hey, uh, there we go. Okay, and now, of course, normally I would not have to push a backup myself. It's going to run every day at 6 p.m. I already know that. That's what I set up. However, just for this demonstration, we're not going to wait till tomorrow. I'm going to right click or click on this little menu icon here and go run backup now. And you'll see really, really quickly it's gone through the backup. It's updated things. And now if I if I do go there, for some reason I want to see that there are files. Yeah, there are files. What does it all mean? So I need that passphrase in order to restore my files. So first of all, I can edit this and grab that passphrase. And now go restore from target. Well, where do you want to restore from? I know that that folder. Oh, that's silly. Eh, come on. 
there we go. I know that that folder is on my desktop. It just happens to be. You'll browse to or paste the URI of whatever it is that you're saving to. Robbie, and then desktop, my backup. Oh, there it is. Okay. And now my... Oh, that's just the that's just the URI. My backup key passphrase actually goes here. Now I'm good. I can connect. Building the local database, we'll know in a second whether or not it's able to decrypt it. And we can see that the files are there, so I have access to it. Okay, so Krista, what do you notice? There is file to create, file to modify, and Linux leaves these little mm -hmm. tilde files behind as backups as well. So when I save a file, it automatically creates a backup on my Linux file system. Mac does the same. So file to delete is nowhere to be found. Let's go back to the earlier backup that happened at an earlier time. You what? notice that file to delete is there. File to modify is also there, but file to create is no, not there not because exist. it didn't exist yet, right? So now if I say, okay, file to modify, remember what I did there. I'm going to go back to it. File to modify now says, I have modified this file. Okay, So here's the scenario. We mentioned it at the top of the show. I've got a Word document. My kids have opened it up. They've typed a bunch of gibberish, and then they've hit save. Yes. In a normal scenario, that is the end all of your file. It's gone. You can't get it back. You can't undelete it because it wasn't deleted. You can't do anything. You're stuck. Here with Duplicati, what we're going to say is we're going to say, okay, so we know file to modify now says I have modified this file. Let's go back to our earlier backup, which might be yesterday, might be a week ago. We can run as many backups and save as much time. We're saving three months by default. I can go back to that day, and I can go file to modify. Notice I'm now looking at the first backup. So this was one minute before the second. And now I'm going to go next. And I'm going to go overwrite the original location or pick a new location if I want to make a copy and still save the current version of the file. That can be handy as well. Uh, how do you want to handle existing files? Overwrite and read, restore read-write permissions. You know, that's self-explanatory. Restore and then just a prompt to support the development of this product if it helped you. Okay, so now if I go back to documents and I go file to modify, you'll notice that my file now says I have not modified this file. So I've successfully recovered to an earlier date my file very, very easily, and all it took was installing that application on my computer and configuring a single backup set. I now know and feel confident that it is running every day at 6 o'clock p.m. Right. I can verify that by opening the program and clicking on restore and just look at the file tree, and I can see. So what happens then if you've got you know a huge amount of files and you run the backup are you going to have you know 10 gigs, 20 gigs, 30 gigs? Well, no, because it's smart, and it's going to save only the changes that have happened since the last backup. So if I create a file, I created a file. It saved that file. But when I modified a file, it's saving the changes to only that file and not saving all the other files right. that are a part of the backup set because it already did, and they haven't changed. So they're already, they already exist, right? So I can go back. So it's a, it's a clever utility. It's absolutely free, and it runs really, really well on Linux, Mac, and, and Windows. Um, so check it out. It's Duplicati and available at duplicati.com. <laughs> right? I was like, was it .org? No. Go, yeah, duplicati.com. Sorry. Um, so I know we're, we're out of time, but I was wondering if really yeah. quick you could answer uh, Rev D. Jenks' Would question here. Yeah. Um, he's just wondering why you prefer Duplicati over other Linux backups that have the same ca uh, capabilities. Well, you know, it, it is part, partly the active development cycle that, they are, that they're working on uh, the product from a user perspective and, and making sure that it has the features that are required and there is active development going on. Now, I have worked with tons and tons of tools um, today, I really wanted to give you a really e – I think there's a line between easy to install, easy to use, mm -hmm. and safe, and knowing that your data is safe. You've got a real backup versus something that you know you, you may trust, but it's hard to install, hard to deploy, hard to set up, which means to me probably not going to do it, the average user. right? So I want to find something that is easy to install, easy to deploy, easy to use, easy to configure, and it just works. Easy to restore. Mm -hmm. and on top of that, it's free. And it's, it's free, but easy to restore. <laughs> what happens if I lose my file? What happens if my kids corrupt everything? Not that that has ever happened. Just a what if. Yeah. 
<laughs> I have looked at many, many different products, as you can imagine. I mean, I look at uh, today. I looked at Bacula. I looked at uh, FW Backup as well. Um, to, uh, there are so many different to- tools out there that are available to you, and I'm not saying necessarily that hey, this is the one that you have to use. I'm sure you've got preferences too. Uh, I am a heavy Cobian Backup user as well, but Cobian has sold the product. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, what's the future of that? Um, Duplicati works with um, with Volume Shadow copies on Windows. So if you've got Outlook, for example, and your Outlook data file is currently open in Outlook, it will still be able to back up that file, even though there would t- typically be a sharing violation, for example. So that becomes a moot point. So it's just a great product, and it's available for free for you, duplicati.com. But today, of course, is World Backup Day, and I go back to that. Take the pledge. Go to worldbackupday.com. Also, learn what it is to create a good, effective backup and, uh, and what you need to do in order to keep your data safe. It's important, folks, and that's why we took the time tonight. I don't want to see you lose anything. It's very, very important to us. Thanks for being here. Is it good advice? There you go. That's very good advice. Good. Good. Glad to hear it. (laughs) So have a fantastic week. That's all the time that we have for this week. And uh, next week, uh, we're we're back here, same time, 7 o'clock Toronto time, and uh, every single Tuesday night. So it's good to see you. Good to see you. Good to see you, Sasha. Great to see you. Thanks. Have a great week. We hope you enjoyed the show. Category 5 TV broadcasts live from Barrie, Ontario, Canada every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern. If you're watching this on demand or through cable TV, check out the local showtimes in your area at Category5.tv and find out when you can watch live and interact in the community chat room. Category 5 is a production of Prodigy Digital Solutions and is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution 2.5 Canada. We'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in. 